Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I don't know if you want the good news or the bad news. So the bad news is the clock at the back isn't working, if you're worried. And the good news is that uh, when the urn comes on, I, sh I stop talking. Uh, that's the arrangement we have here, so don't be alarmed. Um, uh, but it's great to be with you, and I, I did want to just say how blessed we uh, were um, last week with all that... Uh, guys here did out in the community just celebrating uh, talking to people and uh, inviting people along to this gathering uh, and your community day uh, it sounded absolutely brilliant and we've already had stories uh, of, of people coming along and uh, we're really grateful for that also um, a half night of prayer uh, if you were with us still at one o'clock we were dancing at one o'clock in the morning it was just an incredible incredible time and uh, uh, since we started doing this this is the third time we've had these half nights of prayer I wanted to encourage you we have really seen a change we were looking at the fruit actually of when we we started to hear and although we've been through tough times as church and, and lots of of challenges have happened we are seeing growth and we're seeing really really good green shoots popping up all over the place I'm reminded of uh, apparently Chinese bamboo uh, I'm not a gardener by the way this is uh, inherited knowledge from somewhere else but um, that actually it grows under the surface for five years before you see the shoots and it's to do with the root structure of what happens under the surface before the shoots come up and I, I feel that's the season we're, we're in so I do thank you if you made it even for an hour uh, whatever time that was uh, thank you and I know many of us you couldn't make it but joined us uh, in spirit and in prayer we're going to look at um the whole thing of betrayal this morning sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it, on such a lovely spring day. But we're going to look at the two betrayals in, uh, in Luke's Gospel that happen in one chapter. Uh, I don't know if we have the, the reading up on the screen, but uh, it'd be good if you have your Bibles to, to turn to it uh, in, to, in the Gospel of Luke. And this is really at the start of a series we're on, um, looking at the whole arc of Jesus' death and resurrection leading in to the Acts of the Apostles. And actually in this series, we've called it the end from the beginning. Uh, we're starting really with the lead up to Jesus' death and then looking forward into what this ramshackle group of betraying, messed up disciples went on to do in the Acts of the Apostles, which is just extraordinary. And that's encouraging, isn't it, for us to think that here's them getting it spectacularly wrong in this passage. And yet, if we've read some of the, the New Testament, we might know this morning that it doesn't end there. There, that actually it goes on in incredible ways. So let's turn together. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're just going to uh, have the first few verses and then the end of the chapter. Chapter 22 then. Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and waited for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. 
Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the great, sorry, I can't read it. Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. And then if we go on to the end of the chapter, we have a very poignant uh, repetition, if you like, of that where Peter denies Jesus. And we'll, we'll leave the reading there because we're going to come to it in the passage. So firstly, we have... Judas. And in these opening verses, we hear that Judas, although he's part of the twelve, is wooed by what? By self and by money. That actually, even though he hangs out with Jesus, when the officials swarm around him, he is bought off by the temptation of self and money. And I know, and and many of us, if we know the story, even if we're we're new Christians or we're not yet Christians today, Judas is a pretty famous character, isn't he? And he's famous in an infamous way. He's famous for getting it wrong. And there are many people in the Bible like that. But he's infamous for getting it wrong. And and I, I always feel, in a way, a little bit sorry for him. I feel like he gets quite a bad press because he is human. And to be human is to stuff up, isn't it? To be human is to betray a God who has made us in his image. To be human is to be covered in shame. To be human is to feel weak and to feel vulnerable. And even though Judas hung out with the disciples, I wonder if it's true to say that Jesus never really had his heart. Because we can be part of church, we can hang out with Christians, we can grow up in Christian homes, and we can almost feel, well then surely we live in a Christian country, that's debatable, but we do. Uh, We we actually have that sense of, yeah, I think I'm a Christian, Uh, I'm, I'm a fairly good living person, and that would have been Judas, there's no doubt about that. But when it came to the crunch and he had to nail his colours to the mast, he chose self over submission. He chose to honour himself uh, over followership of Jesus. And I wonder why we think Judas betrayed Jesus. Was it actually a planned thing? Well, this account in Luke says that it was. That actually it was a plot that he was a part of. That the officials were scared of Jesus. They were scared of this incredible uprising. And I hope in a way that this church is still scary today in the right sense of the world. That we hold power to change, to transform, to love, to renew. That actually can be a threat. Even this week we've seen one of our politicians hounded. Absolutely hounded and persecuted if I can use a strong word like that. Wherever we sit politically, that's not okay. 
And yet, he stood firm in, in what he believes. He's tried really hard. And we will see that, but actually the church has a role in making a stand. And sometimes self gets in the way of that. Uh, there's a lovely quote here from C.S. Lewis that says, the more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Our real selves are all waiting for us in him. And as I've said before, C.S. Lewis is just extraordinary in my eyes with the wisdom that he shows. But in that, we know that when we live for self, things go a little bit wrong, and they do for Judas. But when we actually say, Jesus, you take over my life, you're leading my life now, I'm following you, something begins to change. And we become more the people that we were ever meant to be. We become more, if you like, human in God, in the very nature that he has created us to be. And so Judas sells off this friendship that he has with Jesus. And a little bit later in the passage, we hear Jesus say this. He says, you are the guys who have been with me. In verse 22, he says, you are the ones who have been with me through my trials. And I find that deeply moving. So he, he knows one of them is going to betray him, but really he's saying, you're my guys. You're my people. You're my crew, if you like. You're my gang. You are my team here, and I love you very much. And we've been together through some really tough times. And he says that to them, knowing that one of them will betray him, and possibly knowing as well about Peter at this point. So we have this, this really human Jesus at this point who's saying, I want to have a meal with my friends. Let's find where we can go. I want to have a last supper with you. And I know that even though I'm going to die for you, you will forget me. That's pretty touching, isn't it? I know that I'm about to give my life. You know, if I gave my life for one of you, I would kind of hope that you'd remember it <laughs> because I'm human. You know, forgive me for that, but I would, I would, I would hope that maybe on my birthday you'd, you'd send up a prayer. I don't know. But do you know what I mean? I think that's human to think, well, I'm giving my life for you, and Jesus knows he's going to do that. And what do this ramshackle group do? In the next few verses, we hear they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. <laughs> actually, if you, if you get a chance to read that later. So here he is saying, guys, you're my guys. You're the ones I love. You're the ones I want to have my last meal with. You're the ones that I want to, to help you remember what I'm going to do by having bread and wine and remembering me. And actually, they're saying, well, who's going to be the greatest amongst us? And I think that's us sometimes. So we can say, you know, terrible disciples, what a group, or we can say, actually, we're like this that we forget that actually to follow Christ is to say, you take over my life now. And it's difficult, it's difficult. Does Jesus have our hearts? Because I remember years ago, somebody saying he can be saviour, but not yet Lord. And I thought, what is that about? I thought that's the same thing, isn't it? But I've learned that it's not, and I think Judas is an example of that. That actually, we know, if we know Jesus at all today, we know that he offers grace to us. That he says, if you're sorry, I will forgive you. And we can accept that, but the next step is making him Lord. In other words, saying, I'm forgiven, and I want you to take over the guidance of my life from here on in. Does that make sense? So Judas, yes, he's a baddie in some respects, but... 
he, he teaches us an awful lot. The other thing is that right in the first few verses that we read, we hear that Satan was involved. Now, whatever name you give that, the Bible is very clear that there is a Satan, that there is an evil one. And actually, if we open up our hearts to temptation and go down that road, we can be used by him in a, in a really appalling way, as we see in our world today. And actually, we all need protection from that. We all need protection to say, God, I open up my heart to you. Protect me from the temptations that we know that we will all, all face. And then at the end, we come on, uh, if you look down the chapter, we come on to another denial. And this is almost more hurtful because this is Peter. And actually, it's always interesting that we call Judas the betrayer, and it's almost become his persona, but Peter denies Jesus, but we don't know him by that. We don't know him by that because it is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. But nevertheless, Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me and you're going to do it three times. And he says, when the cock crows, you will know that actually you've done it, that it will, the cock will crow three times, the, the, the rooster will crow. And Peter, like us, I think if we were face to face with Jesus today, would say, it's not going to be me. I'm not going to do that. He is overconfident he says, I'll follow you wherever, you know, that's me. And, and I hope many of us would be the same. But when it comes to it, he even makes it into the courtyard. He follows Jesus in. That's a courageous step, knowing that they're plotting to kill your friend. He gets that far, and then he loses it. And he says, when he's approached by people, you're one of them, you, you, you walk with the teacher. He says, no, not me. That was not me. He lies, he denies Jesus, he denies friendship with Jesus. And you could say, well, that's as bad as, surely that's as bad as Judas. You know, surely, why is he not vilified in the same way? And when we think of our own state, if you like, the state of uh, our souls, this is an interesting thing that uh, it doesn't look quite, <laughs> quite as I thought on the slide there. Um, but the state we find ourselves today in is, is sinful, quite independent. So in other words, there's an inescapable sense of guilt that each of us feel. This is from Kafka, uh, the trial. And there's an escapable sense in all of us that actually maybe we're not good enough for God. And even as Christians, if you're Christians today, shame enters in and we feel actually... Are we really part of the crew? Are we really part of his guys, his people? Because we get, we get things wrong. And the difference with these two men is that they both let Jesus down spectacularly. Peter does it, and as soon as he hears the rooster crow, he does what? He starts to cry. And we see that Jesus, what does Jesus do? He does one thing. He turns and looks at Peter. That's all. We don't hear him berate him. We don't hear him tell him off. We just hear, again, this moving thing that Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And that's enough. He's gone. He's crying and he's reinstated by Jesus. So two men, Peter and Judas, fail Jesus through denial and betrayal. The only difference between them, one brings his sin to Jesus, 
the other brings it to the grave. Because what happens with Judas is he also realizes he's got it wrong. He's not necessarily full with repentance, but he is full of remorse. So he thinks, oh my goodness, what can I do? And he says, I'll give the whole lot of money back when he sees that they're going to be seized, that Jesus is going to be taken. He also kisses Jesus in his betrayal in the way that actually you would kiss your rabbi. The way that he puts his hand, his left hand on the right shoulder, the way that he kisses Jesus is actually saying, you are my rabbi. And in doing that, he is selling Jesus to those who would kill him. That's how bad it is. And he can't live with himself. So he says, have the money back. Take the money back. I don't want it. And he goes later and hangs himself. Shame, regret, remorse, whatever we call it, he takes to the grave with him. But Peter is completely different. He is broken by it, and he lives not with remorse, but with repentance. And he takes it to Jesus. And Jesus says, you will go and strengthen others once you have turned your life around. He says, when you have turned around, you will strengthen others. And there's good news for any of us who get it wrong here. Because even our shame can be redeemed by Jesus. Even the things that you and I get really wrong, and we do, we can actually use them to help others. I remember once speaking at Spring Harvest in France, and um, there was a young guy there who really didn't want to be there. (laughs) His family had brought him along, and they were insisting that he came to the teaching sessions, and he just looked like he'd rather be anywhere else than there. And I remember sharing quite a lot of my testimony and thinking, now this group of people have lost respect for me because I felt I'd gone into too much detail, and those of you who know me well sometimes don't know, know that I sometimes don't hold back. And I thought, oh, pants, I think I've shared far too much about my testimony. And and now this guy's going to think he can go and live as he likes and whatever. And right at the end, when they filled in the evaluation sheets that you get at the end of the week, he said, thank you for your fragility. And I've never forgotten that. And I I believe it's part of my ministry, um, actually, is, is having got things wrong. And, and actually knowing that that can help those of us who, who do go on and get things wrong. And it'll be all of us. Every one of us is a betrayer, and every one of us is a denier. Really, we are. And yet, we have a choice in what we do with it. What we do with it. Because we can bury shame, and there'll be people here today who've done just that, even this week. You maybe even thought that actually you don't deserve to be here, you don't deserve the grace of Jesus. And, and there's a trick with shame that can do that uh, many times. Uh, Brené Brown uh, has talked about shame and talked about the fact that really uh, it can hold us back from a loving relationship uh, with Jesus. Uh, there's a lovely quote that says, The devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin but calls you by your name. I'll just read that to you again. The devil knows your name but calls you by your sin. Betrayer. If we think of how we label Judas. God knows your sin but he calls you by your name. Does that make sense? I think that's a really, really helpful thing for me. That actually he calls you by name. He loves you. He says, I have died for you. You're part of my group that I love, that I really, really forgive. 
and we still go and vie about who's going to be the greatest, who we still really, really hurt him, and yet that is what he is able to do. And when we think about straying, when we think about messing up, when we think about perhaps the things that uh, we find ourselves guilty of, we have this profound, inescapable sense of regret and that this knowledge that if we were examined, we feel we wouldn't make the cut, that if people really knew who we were, if God really looks face to face with us, would he love us? And the answer is yes. Unreservedly, yes, that he does. But we'll also, as we come to a, a close and as we come to pray, we'll also have in our minds maybe prodigals, people that we know that once did walk closely with Jesus, that were part of the group that he said, actually, I'm going to make you my disciples and you're going to go and change the world. And actually, they've been picked off by the enemy. Because when this passage talks about Satan, he does it with Peter and he does it with, uh, with Judas. He says, even when he, Jesus looks at Peter, he says, Satan's going to pick you off and actually he's going to try and sift you like wheat. And that is still true today. It's hard being a Christian, isn't it? If you are one. And some of you are getting flack at college, you're getting flack online. There's, there's some horrendous stuff that we were praying into on Friday night that is happening for our young people online. You know, we, we know that actually to be bullied back in the day, you could be bullied at school, as Andy King shared on Friday night, and you could go home to a safe place. It's not true anymore. You go home and you're still bullied online. And actually, people, Christians, uh, in our midst, in our young people, are being bullied like that. And it's, it's a hard world to be a Christian in. But it is absolutely key that at a time like this, in the global picture, that we stand up and stand out for Jesus. And that we hold those prodigals in our hearts for a long time in this city at the World Prayer Centre. People have had a notion that actually people who once walked with Jesus will come back to him in the next few years that there will be a revival almost among prodigals. And I know there are people here who've prayed for years for people who once believed and are far from God. And we have an opportunity now to pray for them. Because actually this love, this inescapable love of all the people in the whole world that Jesus could have chosen to start the early church, he chose the man who had just denied him. If that's not a gospel of grace, <laughs> I don't know what is. So it's good news for us today. Whatever we get wrong in life, however much others hurt us and their sin hurts us, there is redemption and even our brokenness can be restored uh, by Jesus in his powerful hands. And I wanted to read a blessing as we close, which is called the prodigal blessing. And let's claim it for ourselves because we're all prodigals really, but let's also perhaps keep in our minds and our hearts at least one person. Let's pray this blessing. Let's just be still. May you always know where the road home begins and have the courage to walk the first mile. May you never be too far from a lifeline and never too far to dial home. May you know that the God who pursues you is a hunter whose bullets bleed mercy. May artful accidents of grace explode at every turn of your journey. 
May you trip over truth and fall headlong into hope. May redemption rain down all around you. May God's glory catch you napping and God's story catch your breath and God's gratuity perpetually astound you. May choices you thought you had made at random turn out to be the key to moving on. May the darkness that sometimes surrounds you prove to be the moment before the dawn. May you bathe in the light of a prodigal sun and be nourished by a generous earth. May the struggles you meet make you stronger and even old wounds bring new wonders to birth. May the unplanned kindness of strangers bring to mind a long-forgotten song. May the unexpected kisses of a star-filled sky remind you of where you belong. And even if you never return to find peace among those who have so loved and hurt you, may you seek your soul's redeemer and connect with your creator and make your home with the Father who waits for you. And may you trip over truth, fall headlong into hope. May redemption reign all around you. May God's glory catch you napping and God's story catch your breath and God's gratuity perpetually astound you. Jesus, there are two betrayers here. There is Judas and there is Peter. And Lord, we know that in our hearts there is a Judas that often chooses self over your lordship in our lives. And we confess that to you now. And we know there is a Peter, scared of what others think of us, motivated perhaps by fear of looking stupid, of being picked on, of being picked out. And yet we thank you that if we do as Peter did and bring our repentance, our, our heart that is sorry to you, that not only do you reinstate us, but you've put your hope in us and you've called us not by our sin, but by our name, so that we are not the betrayer or the denier, but we are the follower who you love, the precious child that you've put your trust and hope in. May we carry that truth with us through this week and beyond, Lord. And for those that we've just named silently in the prodigal prayer, we thank you for that absolutely resilient love that never gives up pursuing those that we pray for and that found us. May they be found by your love and your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so